Monday after the NFL draft, and we're ready to do a podcast. How you doing, Femi? Doing good. Doing good. Trying to figure out whether the Seattle Seahawks got better on this Femi and Ferrari here. You mentioned it being Monday. Yeah. Um, it's uh, We had a lot of sports to go over uh, over the weekend here, Mike. It felt like, felt like old times. You know, it did. It just kind of felt felt normal. I didn't pay much attention to some of the other things, uh, more serious stuff going on in the world. And it was kind of a nice break. We had a hectic couple of days here uh, with the draft coverage on Como. And, you know, it's, it's exciting um, to see all these players get picked. And, you know, I, I think it'll – you know, it's interesting to me to watch – these guys as they progress during their careers. I don't be here in Seattle. I don't put a ton of stock into draft grades and how people, you know, assume certain players are going to be. I mean, we have a quarterback for the Seahawks that just puts all that stuff to shame. So, (laughs) you know, it's always kind of in the back. I mean, some guys are just good and they're going to be good at the next level, Chase Young. Um, But you, you just don't know, right? It's it is it's hard to tell, you know. I mean, it's it's fifty fifty as far as I'm concerned with a lot of draft picks. You know, I, I heard a, a good way to put it with the first round is that half of these guys are going to be good, half of these guys are going to be bust. It's usually yeah. not how it goes, and uh, you just hope that you're on the right side when you're making those picks, uh, especially when you're high up there in the draft. It's uh, it's definitely a gamble, and and one that you know, an an educated choice that GMs have to make, and you know they know stuff that we don't. I mean, obviously we see things through certain optics and and they see things differently. Uh, The common theme though, with this bunch for the Seahawks, uh, a lot of these guys have had some significant um, life experience uh, away from football. And that, that kind of blew me away listening to some of their stories. Yeah, no, they, they (laughs) definitely have battled a lot of adversity, uh, adversity that, you would never hope for anyone to have to go through and stuff, especially being so young, you know, these guys being 21, 22, 23 years old, you know, it's like, heck, they've lived lives that sometimes that it feels like there are maybe 50 years of experience or wisdom. And, right. Uh, you know, maybe that's kind of helped tell their story and helped get them to where they are today. But uh, yeah, that's a, it's another fresh crop of, uh, of Seattle Seahawks is they made eight selections over the weekend and, you know, it's uh, they're feeling good from listening to the draft press conferences over the last uh, few days. Uh, they're excited about their guys and uh, I guess ready to go to work. So if you look at the Seahawks draft picks, yep. which player gets you most excited? Which do you look at and think, wow, I think that guy's going to be a great pro? You know, the, the one of my favorite picks, and I don't know if he's going to be the best, of their picks, but one of my favorites, honestly, is the Stanford tight end Colby Parkinson. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, gosh, he's six foot seven, two fifty, but he's he moves really fluid for a guy that's as tall as he is. And I'm just thinking, I mean, Russell Wilson loves to just lob it up there, whether it's throwing fades or throwing that deep ball. And in a year or two down the line, once he really kind of develops and kind of figures out this NFL thing, I mean, heck. I could just see Russell Wilson throwing up in the red zone, just lob it up top to the six foot seven guy and let him rebound it. You know, it's, I just see that being a really good fit. And I see big target players 
having a lot of success. I mean, we saw it with DK Metcalf last mm-hmm. year. I'm not saying Parkinson is going to be in that stratosphere or whatever, but you know, it's was a guy that's as big as he is and coming from a really good program at Stanford. They've turned out a lot of productive tight ends into the NFL. And I think that the Seahawks might've gotten a steal with that first pick there in the fourth round uh, coming out of uh, Stanford. You know, it's, it, it's an interesting selection and one that I mean, they mentioned that the blocking isn't where it needs to be, but I mean, heck, Blocking is important, but t- touchdowns are what's most important. That's what wins games. And if you can get a guy who can give you uh, a red zone threat, that opens up everything else for uh, when you're in that area of the field. Yeah, and if you have a guy, I think the difference with blocking in a tight end, if you have a guy that's willing to block and willing to learn, yeah, that'll be fine. That they'll they'll be okay with that, especially with Mike Solari. And once those guys kind of start to attach themselves to the offensive line a little bit. Um, but you're right. To me, he's a tight end that I think the Seahawks always wish Jimmy Graham could have been that dominant guy across the middle. You know what I mean? I, I think yeah. Jimmy always kind of saw himself as more of a receiver, phenomenal athlete. Um, but it just there, there always seemed to be like, what what exactly is going on here with Jimmy Graham? You know what I mean? So maybe this is the guy. But you see how dangerous the offense can be, like with Will Disley up until he got hurt. He was a big yeah. part of the offense uh, last year. So I think you're going to have more of the same. Uh, and and really, if they came away with anything, like you're looking at it like, wow. these Like you said, this receiver group is, is pretty big. I mean, even even Steven Sullivan, if, if he ends up making the roster – yeah, I mean, he's a guy that was a tight end in college, but they look at as more of a wide receiver. I mean, if you have those big guys, I mean, let's face it, Russell Wilson's short, right? <laughs> and I mean, he's phenomenal. Who cares? You 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 always hear, you know, you you get what you get. You can't set yourself back, right? And so, with that, if he can just buy himself some time, which is where I think DJ Dallas or a guy that can block can come in, and then see that big tall receiver in that vicinity. Go ahead, throw it, and you. If you get in the neighborhood, some of these guys are gonna, they're going to come down with. Yeah, no, I, I really think it's uh, th- that's the idea of what of what you're thinking about with these big targets. They made an emphasis on tw- trying to get bigger. You know, Tyler Lockett is a is a smaller guy, and he's fantastic. But outside of him, they really want to get bigger type weapons for Russell Wilson to throw it up to. And I, I'm I'm just I'm curious, it, it, what did you think of the Seahawks process? Um, especially on Thursday hmm. with the Jordan Brooks pick, you know, it's, it's the one that it's, it's weird with the, with the Seahawks and drafting, but the first pick is usually the head scratcher. And uh, I think that was, uh, came true to form this year as well. Uh, I was just, I'm just curious your thoughts on kind of their process and taking a linebacker uh, with that 27th pick when they were unable to trade away. Yeah. it It's interesting because how, are they looking at this guy? And I think they see more of someone that could be their next Bobby Wagner that can do a lot and come right up the middle and make tackles in the backfield. Um, uh, uh, one of the big stats that jumped out to me, Femi was so chase young, number two to Washington, yeah. 21 tackles for loss last year. Do you know many Jordan Brooks had? Yeah, he had 20, he had 20, I- right? Sixth in the NFL, uh, sixth in NCAA. So they're looking for that penetrator type of guy. I think he's a good student from everything I've heard. I listened to one of his uh, uh, coaches uh, from uh, Tech talk about him. Um, 
I he's not that standout because didn't didn't Queen go next pick? Yeah, Queen went the next pick. Yeah, I mean, and so those two, I mean, you know, you kind of group together for your career with certain guys, right? I think those two are going to oh, be yeah. grouped together, you know. And yeah, then someone that's... said Queen's the next Ray Lewis, so it's like, oh gosh, <laughs> they passed yep. up on that guy. So <laughs> I don't like we say there's certain optics that they have that we don't, and that uh, that is that that's your fifty fifty right there on on a microscopic level between two players. Yeah, y- you know, you know? so and it's interesting because. The things that he does very well, uh, it's almost like he's a throwback player, mm-hmm. and, and it's it, and that's probably why I'm a little apprehensive to, I guess, give the a okay. This is they've done well here. Uh, I guess seal of approval. Not that they need it from me, um, but it's it's he's a throwback. And, and and if we're in the NFL, if this was 15 years ago or so. I think, yeah, Jordan Brooks, great pick, downhill thumper. Uh, he can run mm-hmm. and uh, and g- gets into the backfield. But in today's NFL, it's almost as if the most important part of playing linebacker is your coverage skills. Right. It, it's it's a passing league. We hear it. I mean, the Seahawks don't pass as much as the rest of the league does, but they don't play themselves. They have to play the rest of the league, so they're going to see a lot of mismatches with running backs and mm-hmm. tight ends and receivers getting matched up on their linebackers because they like to play their base linebackers quite a bit. They play it more than any other team in the league by a wide margin. Right. And it's can Jordan Brooks cover because all the highlights I saw of him for the most part were him coming downhill, making tackles behind the loss, being disruptive at the line of scrimmage. But I didn't see much of him. And it might have been something that they just didn't ask him to do at Texas Tech. Right. But in the Big 12, though, you figured that with how much that league passes, you figured that he would at least do it eventually, Mm -hmm. you know. And the fact that coverage isn't really one of his highlights really concerns me when you have a division where you're going to see the Arizona Cardinals, which, I mean, heck, they, they had themselves a pretty solid draft. And Cliff Kingsbury, Kyler Murray, that air raid offense, they like to toss it around. I mean, Sean McVay's play-action offense that they're running down in the L.A., and then Kyle Shanahan running it as well. I mean, we know what he can do in terms of uh, matching up some really talented running backs and stuff on on linebackers. That part really does concern me with how he's able to cover and get some depth and be able to cover some of these guys because the NFC West is a very difficult division, and you have some really creative play callers. And if coverage isn't a strength – I get concerned. Uh, totally. Wonderful point. I mean, when you look at just the, I mean, it happens to all of us, the, the aging of your two veteran leaders at linebacker and Bobby and KJ. KJ used to be the only linebacker for the Seahawks that could effectively cover a tight end. I mean, yeah. for a long time. But, you know. Yeah. K- he, he was a cheat code. Yeah. What's that? <laughs> I said he was a cheat code yeah. because you could still have your linebackers on the field because you say, hey, let's put KJ Wright on right. on our, on the tight end and, and he can neutralize them. Yeah, and how effective is he going to continue to be doing that? So if you take yeah. – let's just take, take Bobby and KJ on the field again. Let's say Jordan Brooks is that third guy that you're going to put out there if, if he plays into that spot. So he would essentially be taking the spot of Michael Kendricks. Yep. How did Michael Kendricks get hurt last year? Gosh, that was uh, down the field, wasn't in it? In coverage. Yeah, in coverage against, <laughs> uh, against, against Kyle Juszczyk. Yes, it was. Yes, it was. On the far side of the field from where the Seahawks stand. So, yep. 
I mean, you better figure that out pretty quick if if he's going to be that guy, or is he just a guy that takes some heat off Bobby Wagner? But but who is Michael Kendricks next year? If they're looking at him yeah. to be that guy, then that's that's part of his learning curve that's going to have to be dramatically flattened, right? <laughs> yeah. We're talking about and, curves, and and I definitely expect him to take on that Michael Kendricks role. Kendricks, you saw him playing quite a bit near the line of scrimmage and. I mean, you saw him blitzing quite a bit, which is one of Jordan Brooks' strengths is blitzing mm-hmm. and, and just getting near the line of scrimmage and just kind of causing havoc. And and he does that very well from what I've seen from the highlights and stuff. But I just wonder how much of that can you play? Because their, their defense last year, it, it wasn't good. And right. are, are, are they willing to adapt from what they were doing last year or are they just filling in another piece from what they've already been doing? And that that would be my fear if I was a Seahawks fan of like, hey, our guys Wagner and Wright who are stalwarts, they're getting up there in age, and we just brought in a guy whose strength isn't covering. Are we going to be a little bit weaker on that second level, which is the level that a lot of these play callers in their division like to attack? Yeah, because when you look at the the linebacker core, I mean, you got Cody Barton, you have Ben Burkirvan, Shaquem Griffin. I think Griffin's becoming more of a pass rush specialist, and he always yep. seems to put on significant weight in the offseason. Uh, who knows what version of, of Shaquem comes back. And, you know, Ben Bekerven's going to be fighting to get on this team as far as just special teams goes. That's all he played last year pretty much. I mean, he got in some preseason, but I don't remember any significant snaps in a game. Um, he was a tremendous tackler in college, but it's not college, right? So – yeah. Um, yeah, that, that'll be interesting. I mean, there's also, you know, do they go a different route and ask their safeties to do more similar to when Camp Chancellor played? So, you know, are you going to, are you going to find a guy that's right up on the line? You know? Yeah, they could definitely, they could definitely go that route. And, uh, I mean, just even in regards to that pick 27, I mean, John Schneider mentioned that they were looking to trade back with Green Bay, right. Green Bay ended up getting that better offer. So even that in itself makes me a little, I'm like, whoa, they weren't even really comfortable picking there. <laughs> how much, how good should we be feeling about this pick at 27? And with the fact that they were trying to move out of that, and obviously they were trying to get some more value, but I mean, heck, if they thought that Jordan Brooks was going to light the world on fire, they wouldn't have been looking to trade away. They'd have been like, hey, I can't believe this guy fell to 27. Let's take right. it. Right. It almost feels like, Daryl Taylor and Jordan Brooks should have been flip-flop based on what they knew of the players. Cause, cause yeah, Taylor yeah. came to visit. They felt real comfortable about him. Uh, he was one of the few that got in and Brooks was like, yeah, I didn't ever even talk to them. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I think he was as surprised as we were that he heard that. I he know that's things. what it was like on the interview. He's like, no, I didn't talk to these guys, you know, since the combine. So yeah. <laughs> that was interesting. And, and that- yeah, you, you, you never know how much of that is just trying to be incognito and not really wanting to tip their hand. But, I mean, you mentioned Daryl Taylor. That was going to be one of the options if they were successfully able to right. to trade back. Mm-hmm. You know, like, I mean, Daniel Jeremiah said it on the broadcast once they finally picked him at 48 after trading up. He said that, hey, Seattle, if they were able to trade back, they were really looking at Daryl Taylor. And, you know, Daniel Jeremiah tweeted out a week prior to the draft or a week, uh, week ago today saying that, one of the four names he had heard of guys who might get drafted earlier than people think was Daryl Taylor. Right. So I think that maybe he had heard some stuff, whether it had been from John Schneider or from somebody 
close to the situation that's in the Seahawks front office that, hey, we really, really like this guy. We might be higher on him than maybe most people think, and we're really eyeing him, whether it be late day one or early day two, and it ended up being early day two, that they liked him enough that they were trading up for him. And that, that at least makes me feel comfortable about that pick is that, hey, they felt that we don't want to let this guy go. And we think here at 48, he's excellent value. Let's move up and get him. Because, I mean, especially early in the draft, you rarely see the Seahawks trade up. So that in itself yeah. gives you an indicator about how good they feel about him. Yeah, I, I like him personally. I don't know how much tape of him you watched. But the more I watched him, he, he doesn't quit on a play at all. Uh, even, I mean, a number of his sacks that I saw or even tackles behind the line of scrimmage, he he's almost parallel with the ground uh, as he's falling or being blocked into somebody. Like he just, he's got this weird ability to kind of carry his weight on an angle as he's headed towards the ground and make the tackle. Did you notice that? I mean, it's just. No, all. All the good pass rushers have, them. yeah. You know, it's it's that flexibility. It's to wonderful. Bend the corner, uh-huh. and and the natural pass rushers, especially the speed rushers like Taylor yeah. is, they have them, and 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 he's got it. And you know, it's the, there were some issues with medical stuff um, with him, and so hopefully that that's all in line and stuff. But uh, if he's able to stay healthy, I mean, I don't see why he can't be productive. And they're definitely going to be counting on him if things are. Uh, as they currently stand with the rock. Yeah, and because the, the problem was he had a nagging leg issue and it was bothering him, but he played through it. Then he had yeah. off-season surgery. He had a titanium rod put into his leg. And, yeah, because of the, the stress Yeah, pressure. and now he feels fine. And so, I mean, that might have had some people going the other way I, I on him. I don't know. I like his story, too. There's certain guys that, I mean, he has he has has a kid. He lost his mom to breast cancer. His sophomore year of, of high school, he didn't even play. Um, father was incarcerated. I mean, this guy's got has faced tough circumstances, and he just the, the calmness that he had and how he talked about himself and carried himself. I'm sure that's something that was appealing to anybody in the Seahawks organization because he was one of those few guys to come in for an all day interview before the whole COVID deal. So. I, I, I'm excited for him. I want to see that guy do well. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see, right? We'll see. We'll see. Yeah, what happens. It, it, it's definitely a, a we'll see for sure. Um, it, you know, the, the draft class rounding out, the way I see it is that day one was a little bit of a head scratcher. Day two, I thought they were really good. Mm-hmm. Uh, with Taylor Lewis, it fits them to a T. You know, like the scouting report on him out of LSU was that coaches absolutely loved him in Baton Rouge. Uh, he was the minute he came in, for, he was went to a JUCO college. I believe it was Northwest Mississippi Community College that he was at for his first two years. And then uh, his junior and senior years when he went to LSU started immediately. So started all 28 games while he was in college. And he is an absolute road grader, bare knuckle brawler type of offensive lineman. I think that's what they're really looking for. Uh, I mean, heck, reading his scouting report almost—it was almost a a description of DJ Fluker, right? You know, who the, the guy, the guy who he might be replacing from day mm-hmm. one, and it's it's it just feels like a really good fit in terms of the way he plays, one of those play through the whistle kind of guys, um, and I think that's going to really fit what they want to do with the run game being uh, of emphasis 
uh, here in Seattle. You know, I, I, I love Fluker. He just make he made me laugh. I loved some of the things he said yeah. and how really good. Yeah, just a good dude. It was cool to see, you know, he had a great message uh, yesterday on, on Twitter after he was released and, you know, he's going to make the Northwest Pacific Northwest his home. Um, but, you know, I'll never forget. I don't remember who the game was against Femi, but it, it was a Sunday night primetime game and they were running off left the left side a couple like two plays in a row and he was livid that they were not running behind him he came back and he was like grabbing (laughs) some guys and he's like yelling and he's stamping his foot and and then next thing you know next play comes and i swear they must have ran for 12 14 yards converted on third down and he came back and he's like waving the arms like see just keep running it i mean it was awesome and you got to be like that and if they see that in the damian lewis type of guy that can be here for a while that's pretty awesome. I mean, he, he was funny because we, we can kind of let people into some of the stuff that we see as far as like the interviews. <laughs> he was doing his interview on this on the Zoom, right? But he didn't yep. have the camera back far enough. So it just it reminded <laughs> me because he had his glasses on. So all you could yep. see, it reminded me of one of the minions. Because all you could see, you know, because they wear those glasses, all you could see was his head. And the glasses, like, up. And he was talking. And then occasionally you'd see his smile because he was so happy. But I was just cracking up the whole time watching that. (laughs) (laughs) He seems to be a big personality, which I think is – it's always fun to cover those guys. You mentioned Fluker being kind of a genuine personality guy that lights up a room and stuff. And it's it's unfortunate to see him him go and the team's moving on. But unfortunately, that's kind of the the cruel business of the NFL. Um, but definitely I think with Damian Lewis, I think they're getting an instant starter, if not a starter very soon into the season. Um, and you got him for four years uh, under a rookie contract. So that definitely helps with the, with the cap space and all that. But um, was there anything that they did in the draft or didn't do rather that you would have liked to have seen them do? Well, first of all, Damian Lewis is really good in billions. It was great in Homeland, so I'm glad he's coming. Um, <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, I was a little surprised with the tight end so high, but I, I get it. Um, they really just didn't take a, a, a snotty defensive back, like someone with some, some, you know, I, I, and I think it just kind of lends credence to what you asked last week about Shaquille. I, yeah. I, I think they're set there. I think they kind of look at themselves as being okay in the secondary. I I like big safeties from watching Cam Chancellor. I like those bruiser guys. I don't think Bradley's that right now. You know what I mean? If Bradley, yeah. Bradley could play free or strong. Um, I, I like – who was the kid from Wazoo that ended up going to uh, the Cardinals like two years ago? Uh, oh. You know what um, I'm talking about? Yeah. Oh, are you talking about Dan? Yes. Cannon or... like, I like the way he played. Yep. You know, I thought someone yeah. like that would have fit perfectly in the Seahawks system. So I was surprised they didn't come away with a guy like that, you know, that they could find yeah. in the first four or five rounds because that's kind of their, you know, hallmark. And I, it's their special because yeah, I think you could find, I mean, obviously, I think the, the DJ Dallas pickup was because, you know, he's, he's going to be CJ Procise. And he's 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 a tough guy, along with Homer. They very similar, um, but I think one of the things, if I'm not mistaken, he he he's a good blocker. So if that can buy, yeah, that, that, that's yeah. The so if he can come be a third down guy and buy Russell some more time, 
then that's good. So, I, I mean, obviously, you know, purpose-driven pick. But I thought maybe around there where they had those two fourth-rounders, I thought they'd pick up a, a, a bruiser of a safety. But maybe there just wasn't one that they wanted, and maybe there's still someone out there they can get. I don't think they're done by, yeah. by any means doing stuff. It's going to be interesting. Yeah. Oh, no. No, no. Well, and we'll get to that here in, uh, in just a little bit. Um, you mentioned just like – just them not being able to find one and that might have been what it was right you know it's you, you never want to force yep. a need yeah it, it just kind of depends on how the board all plays out once you're on the clock but i mean we talked about it in our in our preview for the draft that i mean i was high on defensive back being yeah um a need for them and obviously we don't know what they're thinking in terms of a, an extension for a shaquille griffin or if maybe quentin dunbar if they see how that plays out this year but dunbar if he plays well, I feel like he's in line for a really big contract. I'm not sure if they're going to want to go that high. Um, but maybe it's Shaquille Griffin. It could be something that they work on this summer. Um, John Schneider was definitely trying to play coy with me on the pre-draft press conference. Uh, but as it stands right now is that they only have two guys. It's Ugo Amadi and Marquise Blair who are under contract in the defensive backfield in 2022. Right. So while it's not a need right now, this time next year, if they haven't done anything significant, it definitely will be right. a need. And you don't really want it to get to that point to where you feel like you're forced to take a guy just out of necessity. Mm -hmm. That's why I was thinking that they would really try to take one now so that they could just kind of get a guy and then just stash them right. or slowly bring them along. I mean, they kind of did that with tight end with Colby Parkinson, you know, with, it's a crowded tight end room, but that room's going to get a lot lighter uh, this time next year with Olsen and, and Hollister under one-year contracts, mm -hmm. but uh, I, I really thought that they would have tried to take a defensive back, whether it be a safety or even a cornerback with, you know, with Dunbar as a free agent, Shaquille Griffin's entering his final year. Uh, Quandre Diggs still has another year at safety a uh, couple years, but uh, yeah, it's, I mean, McDougal's entering the final year of his contract. So that you're talking about three out of your four starters on your base defense in the defensive backfield are entering the final year of their right. contract. So either something's going to have to give later this summer, or it could get real dicey next year and defensive back can become a really, really big need for them. And in that case, you find yourself kind of maybe reaching or doing something extravagant just out of necessity. How about they re-sign Quandre Diggs to a new deal before training camp? Would you take that? I mean, he's a really good player, and I think he's he's the type of player that you want to be on the in the core of your mm -hmm. defense. Um, you know, he's smart, instinctive, uh, plays with an attitude, so it definitely fits their mold and their philosophy in terms of being uh, competitive. So I, I would definitely, if it's at the right price, mm -hmm. for sure, uh, would be all on board with bringing him back as being kind of the the leader on the uh in the secondary there but i feel like you still need to do something at cornerback because i mean i mean you look at it behind dunbar and griffin is trey flowers uh ugo amadi right now is looking like the starter in the slot i think they'll try to do something bring some competition for him um but it, it's just there's it's not a whole lot of depth or experience at cornerback right now outside of the first two guys so i feel like they really should or need to kind of address that at some point um, this offseason. I don't know. Maybe they could obviously trade for somebody. Who knows? Things happen. People could become available out of nowhere. But, uh, yeah, it's like your two starting corners entering the final year of their contracts. And who knows? They could be talking to Shaquille Griffin's agent right now in terms of working something out. 
and maybe in a month or so this all becomes moot but as of right now and what we know um just right it, it just it, it looks a little bare but I, I would tend to believe that they're working on something because i'd hope they wouldn't leave themselves this exposed uh at a position group that's really really uh key to being a successful yeah defense. i i just was looking at some of the names of guys that are still out there i believe free agents for corner and one name kind of jumps out at me desmond trufant Yeah, no, I think did he I, sign? Think, I think Trufant might have this list. Yeah, though. I believe he signed. In oh, he Detroit. did. Yeah, he's in. Yeah, My he's bad. in Detroit. Okay, you're right. Yeah, but so twenty. Oh, he signed through twenty twenty one. So twenty twenty. So yeah. So forget this so, list. So, this yeah, is so an up to date. Forget me saying this then. But I was just trying to figure out, you know, those older options. Um, of guys, Detroit. That's kind of just a wasteland. <laughs> <laughs> feel bad for anybody goes there. It's, you, you know, they they picked up Jeffrey Okuda, yeah, the Ohio State corner, who's who, he's fantastic. So maybe maybe they're turning things around there. But I know Matt Patricia. It's uh, I think he the seat's getting rather right. warm, uh, as as they say with the with his first two years being not yeah. so great. I'm not going to look at that list anymore because yeah. I'm not sure who signed or not signed. <laughs> so. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk. Yeah, that when did he sign? Time, I don't even but... remember. Was it a while ago? Oh gosh! Like right in mid February, yeah, in March. Yeah, it was it was it was about March when March, the okay. opened. Yeah, but the, the the interesting thing is that the stuff that came out yesterday, uh, we mentioned DJ Fluker uh, being released. Justin Britt also was released about an hour later. You know, like those moves we talked about Britt for quite some time as being an option uh, to create cap space, and they finally, I guess, made the move now after the draft and. It frees up about eight and a half million in cap space. Mm. Uh, Fluker frees up about three point seven million, and and now here we go. Uh, it's added cap space, and there's still a a Pro Bowl caliber pass rusher still on the market there to add to a defense that you just recently Who would that had. Be? And, oh, you know, you know, just just this guy I heard of. Hmm. You know, I've only been talking about him uh, all off season since right. since March. Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah former right, right, right. Pick, yeah. But, uh, had a great bowl game against Michigan. Some video. Of... Yeah, had a pretty good bowl yeah. game against Michigan. Made, made, made right. a viral yep. highlight. Something never forget. You know, yep. scored scored a couple touchdowns for the for the Seahawks defense yeah, this okay. past year. Uh, yeah, just just a pretty solid player. We'll we'll see what they do there. But I mean, one move goes to another move. But does one plus one equal two? Uh, we'll see. But you know. I feel like people are starting to connect the dots, especially with the timing. You know, they didn't they didn't have to wait to make these moves. Right. You know, uh, they could have released Fluker and Britt before the draft. They could have done it a month ago, but uh, they waited to make the moves, which makes people believe that something could be coming down the pike here pretty soon. Do you think it would be spent on quantity, or could they go spend it on a guy like Everson Griffin? I, I could see Everson Griffin definitely being an option, um, depending on how high the county price goes. I mean, I think now that we've passed the deadline for teams to being able to sign guys that are not affecting their compensatory right. pick math, um, I think that maybe more shooters and more more contenders even will be now interested in Jadavian Clowney, which is, I mean, effectively what he wants. He wants to play on a team that's contending. So I think we could see – it wouldn't shock me if there's two or three teams that – 
now jump into this clowny watch and all of a sudden he ends up getting something near the price that he was initially wanting it might be on a short-term deal maybe a one or two year deal but um i mean he's definitely an, an intriguing player that's out there and now that the draft has happened these front offices now kind of assess what they have on their roster and if they're not satisfied with what they can do in terms of pass rushing ability i mean there's a guy that's out there that can be an instant impact mm-hmm. player for you and if you can do it for a short-term deal it's not too much of an effect to your salary cap yeah either way they got to do something the seahawks do whoever it is they got to add yeah something yeah. something there yeah yeah they definitely haven't added enough. I mean, they got uh, Benson Mayoa, Bruce Irvin. Those guys have come back. Uh, and then obviously with Daryl Taylor, Alton Robinson from Syracuse, mm-hmm. who we haven't mentioned, but he's another guy that they're really excited about. He definitely looks the part. Uh, so you brought in four new defensive ends, but none of those guys are really jumping off the screen or being guys that are disruptors that teams have to worry about. Uh, at least as of right now. I mean, we don't know what Daryl Taylor and Alton Robinson are going to turn into, but rookie pass rushers, it's hard for them to be instant impact from day one. Uh, but I, would, I wouldn't I would feel comfortable with what they have right now at defensive end, but if you add Clowney, then I think you're starting to, you're starting to cook with a little bit of right. gas there. Uh, and if, and if they, if, if they want to get to that next level, which Russell Wilson has been talking about for, uh, for quite some time now, is getting back to that championship level, it's it's hard to envision them doing it with the with the current defensive. When they won they the right Super Bowl, now. they had a a wonderful um, defensive line or defensive line personnel that they transitioned in and out throughout a game. I mean, just just oh, were really great. crafty about it. And as I look at this, you see Daryl Taylor as going in for Bruce Irvin. He's going to give you kind of the same type of stuff. Played some outside linebacker in college. Yep. I don't know when I look at Alton Robinson. I look at him as more like you're replacing for Quentin Jefferson eventually that that type of guy that can play on that side and just do a little bit of everything that Quentin did you know be a solid defensive performer I don't know if he's going to have the numbers that like a Daryl could end up with but a guy like Robinson you know he's taller he could definitely kind of fill that void and learn from a guy like Jaron Reed and stuff but I mean you gotta look at that whole rotation how they move some guys up but there's definitely some missing pieces to rotate like they're obviously they can't be done you know there's there's no way yeah it's it's hard to envision them being done uh one guy we haven't brought up in even over the past month with all this clowny watch stuff going on is i mean the team's leading sack artist yeah rasheem green uh who knows what kind of step he's able to take if he's able Mm -hmm. to elevate his game um you know it's it's sometimes you draft guys and they have their rookie year and you forget about him but it's like no he's still he's still on the team and, and he's gonna get better uh, and, and, and he flashed some some good mm-hmm. ability last year at times. Obviously, it wasn't consistent being a young player, but, you know, if he's able to kind of figure things out even more and kind of be an ascending player, then that definitely helps their defense. So if, if, he, if he can add on a Clowney on top of maybe a Rasheem Green getting better or a Daryl Taylor and Alton Robinson kind of getting in, maybe some youthful exuberance there. And then, I mean, Bruce Irvin had a pretty good season last year, as did Benson Mayoa, and you might have something there. And it, it doesn't even have to be Clowney. It could right, be Everson right. Griffin, like you mentioned. Uh, but, but but I feel like they need a veteran presence there that's uh, used to being a player who has been able to kind of just be the, the, the torchbearer of, of a pass rush. And Everson Griffin was that 
in Minnesota before Daniel mm-hmm. Hunter showed up, and Clowney has definitely kind of been that in spots that he's been. So uh, I, you would think that they're not done. Uh, I would hope that they're not done, but I guess we'll see what they've done. As of right now, the moves of releasing Brent and Fluker, what it's done is that it's given them flexibility that should a situation arise that they're ready to, to really move You mentioned move forward with Rasheem it. Green, and over the weekend, Pete – I mean, he mentioned LJ Collier, like he's counting on him to make an impact. I don't know if you picked up on that at all, but I was like, okay. I mean, those are two guys that he definitely looked at as, as that part of that rotation. So you can't forget about him. And then you can't forget about Puna, Puna Ford, who's kind of yeah. like, you know, Jerry, oh, Puna, Jerry Reed Puna's an ex- Jr. You know what I mean? <laughs> I, I love Puna. And, and even b- before Puna was drafted, or I mean, he wasn't even Big Twelve Player of the Year, undrafted, which, yeah. kind of, which, kind of, yeah, which kind of shocked me, yeah, because I was like, this guy was the Big Twelve Player of the Year, and he was a tail kicker at Texas, and just a- as a former offensive lineman who played in high school, the guy you hated to go against was the short, squatty guy because they got right. natural leverage, and Puna Ford has that, and I know being a shorter defensive tackle. Teams kind of overlooked that because he's not the traditional 6'3", 290 or whatever. But I was like, man, like these other guys are getting taken ahead of Puna. That's the guy I don't want to have to block because he's 5'11", 295 pounds of – is a trash yep. can filled with dirt. And, and other it's players in the league have talked about how difficult <laughs> he is. So, I mean, he's like, again, another yeah, he, he, underrated he guy in that rotation. So, I mean – if you look at all those guys, and then they are obviously sprinkling other pieces, this free agency and stuff. I mean, you you get that one veteran or two, you got a pretty solid rotation of guys that can come in and out. Because Michael Bennett was part of that rotation with with uh, yeah. as well as with Cliff, and Cliff. they they stayed fresh. That's just what they did. They just and and it really and they did things so fast. And Ken Norton was around for that, so he knows how it works. You know what I mean? He was the linebacker coach on that team. Yeah. So he knows what needs to be done. And if they have those, just, you know, just throw them in, throw them in. Okay, come out, come out. So, I mean, and you have young guys that just keep the motor going the whole time. It'd be fun. And then the older guys can feed off what the young guys do. So. Yeah, no, I, th- I think they've, they've made some strides, uh, addressing defensive end twice. I do like them double dipping there because if you, if you feel, if you're if you have strong convictions about a guy, uh, you might as well take them. Uh, defensive back, that's the one I'm a little concerned about. But overall, I think they were, I think it was a pretty solid yeah. draft overall uh, in terms of a process. You know, these things are hard to grade in terms of results because that's going to come three to four years down the line when we actually get to see these guys play. But in terms of their process, I thought it was pretty sound for the most part. And Thursday can come into question, but for the most part, I thought it was pretty solid. Um, but switching to the local guys, though, I mean, heck, it was pretty quiet the first two days outside of Ezra Cleveland going to the Vikings there. The offensive tackle mm-hmm. out of Spanaway native uh, Bethel High School played at Boise State the past three years. But we didn't really get much action until Saturday. And even on Saturday, it wasn't as much action in terms of hearing names called uh, as we thought that they would be. But it, it, it all started with Jacob Beeson going 122 to the yeah, Indianapolis Colts. And- you know, you heard certain things come out on Friday. I know you had it in one of the reports of what, what you had found about the work ethic stuff. And, you know, maybe that's all someone needs to hear, yeah. you know, before they go into the league. Yeah. I, I mean, the accountability piece, I know Brian Tom uh, with the UW talked about any time he asked him to do something, 
he was their quarterback. He's getting asked to do a lot. Um, I I never had a problem with Jacob, and as far as coming out, talking after games, being available, just from I mean that's media stuff. But he he's kind of a bit of a, yeah. of a surfer, and we talked about that. That's what I, that was one thing I said. He's not really loud. It wasn't until late in the season that he started to speak up because I think the frustration started to set in for him that he actually spoke up in the locker room and it was like a it was like a big deal. It was like you know someone just. Like like the girl in Pitch Perfect when she the, when she suddenly said something and everybody stopped. You know what I mean? <laughs> like what? <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> no, that's, that's a exactly funny movie. Um, so and he's got someone great to learn behind who ironically never shuts up. Right. So there that. you have it. He should take something <laughs> away from. <laughs> I. I I want to oh, be a fly gosh. on the wall in that quarterback room when, when Philip Rivers is just just badgering a point home, yeah. going on and on and on. And they see East in there, just kind of. It, he's a Lake Stevens kid, but he I, the the phrase I keep using is that he's got this Cali right. cool kind of vibe to him, uh, and, and maybe that's a turnoff for for NFL head coaches. Uh, we weren't in the meeting, so we can only speculate in terms of what we heard. I mean, I, I mean, I've talked to other people, scouts and stuff like that, that have said that there was issues of, yeah, how much does he care and all that stuff. But that stuff is, it, it's, unless you know somebody personally, it's right. hard to really judge that and know it a hundred percent, you know. And, and even for these these scouts or coaches or or GMs who talk to these kids, they're only talking to them for maybe let's say an hour or two hours or so. It's not like you're gonna be able to know somebody really through their core in a couple hours, that's got to be time spent uh, to, to be able to get to know somebody on that level. So, I mean, may, maybe they misevaluated his character and all that stuff. I can see where somebody being more so relaxed and not really just on edge at all times where right. it can be, maybe be a turnoff if you're looking for a leader at quarterback. But, you know, he, he says he's ready to, to compete his I believe his he tail said off his, and, his and, nuts and, off. You know, I, I think, <laughs> yes, he did say that. <laughs> I'm forgetting that we're not on TV, so we can't say that. But I love that quote, though. Yep. I like to see that because then I'm sure deep sure. down he's a little ticked off. Sometimes that's be, what you need. You know, right? it's like, like this. Was, yeah, exactly. And and it's a fresh start. You know, college football didn't go how he thought it was. You know, coming out of Lake Stevens, he was the five-star recruit, Gatorade National Player of the Year. It was expected to do big things at Georgia. You know, he gets hurt. Jake Fromm comes along ends up taking his job, comes back to UW, has to sit out a year. But even when he does play, the Huskies don't have the season that they think that they should have. So it's it was almost like his college career, which was only really yep. two seasons effectively, just didn't go the way that he thought it would go. So you're hoping that now that he's broken away from that as now as a professional, it, this is a, maybe this is a clean slate for him and a, a chance to make his name really on the professional level. And uh, we're rooting for him. He's, yeah. he's a West Coast uh, North kid go. like yeah. I was. So, you know, Cascade High uh, School. It, 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 definitely rooting from, yeah, yeah. Well, although right. they beat us uh, in my <laughs> senior year, so we don't want to talk about that. But, <laughs> but uh, it's I'm I'm hoping he does well and really puts the, I guess not 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 silence the doubters or anything like that. But just really, you know, just kind of proves people wrong because some of the stuff that's starting to be said about him is it, it's on one hand I understand why there would be those concerns, but then on yep. the other hand, but he went ahead of Jake Fromm, who took his job at Georgia. So f- figure that out. That's uh, there's no in- exact science to say. The one, the one Husky. I mean, I wish them all luck. Um, and you know, there are only seven rounds, so not everybody's going to get taken. 
and they, they have their chances to make an impact. Yep. Um, but one guy that he did get taken, which I'm not surprised, was was Nick Harris. And I was kind of blown away when they started comparing him to Jason Kelsey as far as ability and stuff. I mean, yeah. that's, that's quite the compliment. You know what I mean? And he's is, a gamer. A very he's a guy that he didn't get a, a scholarship offer but to UW. That was it, you know? And there yep. he goes in the fifth round. So it's it's crazy. Yep. Uh, under-recruited, uh, probably mm-hmm. a little overlooked in the draft process. You know, he doesn't have the traditional height for an NFL offensive lineman. You know, he's he's about six feet, barely ba- – about barely six feet and a half or so. Um, but he competes. And if you want to talk about being a leader, being an alpha, that guy is that. He was the lead dog on that Husky team over the last four years. I mean, heck – he was a, a, a freshman, a true freshman starting on a team right. that made the college football playoff. Like, like that is really impressive, uh, being one of the four best teams in the country that year. And here he comes in starting, starts as a right guard his first two years and slides over to center and really carved his niche at center. Uh, I thought that he, he might go in the third round or so, ends up going in the fifth to Cleveland. But uh, if Cleveland gives him a legitimate shot, I think that they might have found themselves a really, really good starting center for themselves for a long time in the fifth round because that guy yep. is going to work and he's going to compete. And, and and he has that natural leverage. I mean, we talked about it with Puna. He also, being a shorter guy, is able to get that leverage on maybe taller defensive linemen, and that helps him mm-hmm. move, move them out of the way. You know, it's like the low man wins on the line of scrimmage, and – you know, Nick Harris being a, a shorter guy, but he is athletic. So maybe maybe that can help him out in that kind of a zone blocking scheme that they run out there over in Cleveland. But uh, yeah, definitely another guy that we're rooting for. And uh, it's it'll be interesting to see how. His, yeah. Uh, how and his so and kind of plays we, we out. talk about the Huskies and, and we got a, a coup coming to compete for the backup job with the Seahawks. Yeah, it's 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 amazing. You have a Coug and a Husky coming to the Seahawks. Right. Uh, the Husky being Aaron Fuller, I was picked up, but but definitely a Coug, and that was really right after the draft. Uh, you know, when the draft ends, it comes yeah. free agent frenzy of the undra- of, of the undrafted variety. And I think, gosh, it felt like it was ten minutes, maybe because I was I was working and trying to f- fill all this stuff in and and get it all on the air. But I was like, whoa, like this is instant, like. The minute the draft ended, all of a sudden you saw a report that Anthony Gordon was headed to the Seahawks, and it's like, wow, that's the Seahawks definitely needed a quarterback. That's one area that they could have addressed in in the draft. But uh, if Anthony Gordon led the nation in passing in college football, uh, was kind of a, a late bloomer at WSU. It's an interesting thing the way he kind of tells it. You know, it's like he was there under Luke Falk was the backup, and then when Luke Falk graduated. It was a QB competition between Anthony Gordon, Trey Tinsley, and they had mm-hmm. just signed Gardner Minshew, but he wasn't he wasn't coming to campus until late May, early June. So during the spring practice, uh, I was down there or, or uh, over across the mountain when I was working in Spokane. It was Gordon versus Tinsley. Who's going to kind of establish themselves as maybe a front runner or a legitimate challenger to Minshew once Minshew arrives in Pullman? And Gordon blew him out of the water in spring camp, but it was. The, just hearing him talk that spring camp about like saying, Hey, like this is my time. And I, I'm just trying to really figure things out here. Um, it, it, it's, he didn't win the job initially. It went to Minshew, but I think the thing that he did well, because he could have 
gotten upset because he was at this point now a junior, a redshirt junior, and was going to be on the bench after waiting for so long. He could have gotten upset, but instead he's kind of just soaked up knowledge from Gardner Minshew and really observed how he was able to galvanize a team and really bring guys together. And once the following spring came, it looked like it was Anthony Gordon's team. I mean, there was a quarterback competition, but Gordon was leading it the whole way and really felt like the quarterback that was going to be the guy out of the spring camp. And then at that point, he goes on to lead the nation in passing once the fall arrives. But just hearing him kind of talk about what he learned from Gardner Minshew and just how to be a leader and how to just kind of be the guy that everyone looks to. I'm intrigued by the guy. He's got a quick release. Uh, He he makes some off-platform throws. He's a former baseball player. So uh, he definitely understands arm angles, but uh, he's pretty accurate too. So, and he definitely got a lot of red. And I, I think one thing off. that goes back to that and the, the lack of say uh, in-person workouts and pro days is familiarity that he's in the state. They need a backup quarterback. I'm sure they, they saw him yep. several times watching Husky games or, uh, or the Husky Coo game. I mean, it's right here, right? The Apple Cup was here this year. So maybe the Seahawks had guys here, right? Yeah. I, 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 I shared, there you go. I shared an elevator with John Schneider. It's that eyes on thing, the, which the is Cup. why it goes back to, you know, Daryl being taken yeah. in the second round. So, I mean, it, it's it, would things have been different in a non-corona draft? I think so. I think half of the players that are on there probably wouldn't be on there. They'd be different. They'd be different guys. Yep. Because maybe other teams would have seen them. And, and taking them earlier or at different times. Um, so it's fascinating how that all worked out. I do know one thing. They started their uh, off-season program today. Pete, Pete said they're going to have 90 guys on a Zoom call and then go ahead and break up into groups. How, how does that look? Do you have like – I mean, because you know in the, in the VMAC they got uh, that big screen. They could fit 90 faces on there. But I think about 90 faces on a Zoom call on an iPad that some dude just hanging out at his house. Like, how do you see everybody? <laughs> everybody gets like two centimeters. <laughs> exactly. I was going to say, I was like, that's going to look like just little right. widgets. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> that, that is unbelievable. But they're really testing the powers of Zoom. Right. They're really putting nine guys on a Zoom call. <laughs> <laughs> maybe maybe break up offense and defense this right go to maybe you know, 45, for Pete, though, for him it's it's that thing you know they shoot baskets in there it's it's that it's that togetherness thing and he doesn't yeah. want always always yeah always compete. seriously maybe the first one now. to sit there and look you right in the eye and say yeah we are <laughs> yeah it's exactly what we're doing <laughs> That, that, yeah. that's too funny that's too funny uh we'd be remiss to uh not mention another a couple mm-hmm. of local guys actually uh hunter bryant the tight end unfortunately you know that the, the knee stuff we talked about it during the draft preview and like him being a wide range of where he could go uh he, he ends up going undrafted but was signed very quickly to detroit lions i know a lot of people were shocked even nationally like hey this hunter bryant guy is really good maybe a team takes a look at him but i think maybe just mm-hmm. the scare of his knee uh, with, with the with the ACL, his freshman year, then the meniscus surgery before his sophomore year that caused him to miss nine games. Um, but he's certainly talented, really athletic, and he's seen as one of the best undrafted free agent pickups going to Detroit now. So he'll be in the Motor City, and then Savan right. Ahmed will be down in the Bay Area with the San Francisco 49ers. He was another guy who was picked up quick, uh, quickly after the draft there. So now you, you, you have... Ahmed and Bryant, a couple local guys, uh, Kirkland 
and Issaquah, who will also be at the next level and have pretty decent chances, at least on Brian. Yeah, well, Ackman ma- goes in there after they traded Breida. So there's there's a, a gap there, and they're kind of similar yeah. styles. So who knows? You know, wish him nothing but luck. Does Andre Pettis come to the Seahawks eventually? Do they get tired of him down there? It felt like they were tired of him down the towards the end of the season. Uh, you know, it's like it's. It, it, I think he was a healthy scratch for a lot of games, and I think he was inactive for some uh, of those playoff games. So, it's, who knows? Maybe he maybe he makes his way back up here to uh, to. I Seattle, called him Andre. But, I meant Dante. Yeah. Did I say Dante Pettis? <laughs> I, who? Dante, yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah Dante. Dante. Yeah. I, I knew who I knew who you were talking the, about. The poet. Yeah. I was just calling <laughs> wrong, him poet wrong, wrong, poetry, but. Uh, I mean, but I don't know. Maybe yep. maybe <laughs> Dallas ends up being their the Seahawks kick returner. You know, yeah. Who knows? Swain, you know, right? It's, it's Dallas, or you know, he's Freddie got Swain. wheels. Freddie Swain yeah. had a lot of, and he's one of he's one of my favorites. He's one of my favorites from this draft class. You know, provides some slot uh, receiving ability, but also in the return game. So I think that he could make an instant impact, honestly, because the Seahawks don't really have like a bona fide slot receiver. You know, Tyler Lockett does his thing. DK Metcalf does his thing. But in terms of like a slot guy, I mean, John Ars- John Ursua, nobody knows what he'll be able to do. He kind of got a little bit of play in that 49ers game, definitely. But um, it, it's it, it's kind of a, a, a hole that's that's not been filled there. But if Freddie Swain comes in and competes, uh, he's a guy that maybe can – carve out a little, a little role for himself if he pr- proves that he's reliable. And in the return game, I think he definitely has a lot of experience there, and I think that he'll instantly be a guy who can maybe help lighten the load for Tyler Lockett because, I mean, he's doing kick returns, punt returns. It's uh, it, it, That's a lot for uh, your most uh, talented wide receiver. before you have to wrap things up. The schedule yep. is not out yet, but the NFL considering starting the season possibly in mid-October – as a contingency plan with no bye weeks and a Super Bowl in late February, that would be interesting. Yeah. But that would also, I would, Gosh, I would nope. imagine, that's when you get nope. to the point of mass testing. Yeah, I, I don't think we're going to have anything mm-hmm. going on until we get to a point of uh, of widespread testing. But man, no bye weeks yeah. or a shortened schedule. They may play brutal. twelve. They may play twelve, <laughs> you know, and no preseason. Yeah, that that would be. Yeah. That would be really just whoo, and also, and also with a with a, with no preseason, it, it really makes you. How would they determine who makes the roster? You know, how would these teams do that? Because if, if if you're thinking about having no preseason, that means you're probably not going to have much of a training camp. So where are these guys or these undrafted free agents and all that stuff going to get a chance to show that hey, I can make this team. I deserve to make this team. Like, mm-hmm. how are they going to? You would probably end up having, you know, stuff. some teams combined practices. Maybe you end up having combined practices with the West Coast teams, yeah. and then you figure it out from there. If if, if, if that's even right, if exactly. That's even allowed. <laughs> that's, that's be thing. breathing it's on like, somebody. That might not somebody even be allowed. So I don't know, man. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah, it, it's going to be kind of an interesting mm-hmm. time here. We obviously hope that uh, we're able to keep. Uh, on this pace that we're on right now, it feels like we're some areas are are starting to lift these stay at home orders, and we'll see. I guess the ramifications of that down the line here, but uh, ho- hopefully that this we, we can kind of get past this pandemic and get back to some normalcy. But it, it's definitely feeling its effects in the sports world. You know, we saw the NBA now. I think it's May eighth that they're looking at 
in terms of opening up uh, practice facilities for yeah. players to kind nope, of go no in and practice, get a little bit of a workout and only in. four players in at uh, a time. Nope. Only four players in at a time, only oh. one team official in at a time. And like, yeah, you said no, no practice at all. No organized activity, just shoot around and maybe, maybe a little bit of lifting. I'd, I'd imagine is going on there, but uh, yeah, definitely some sure, weird man. times though that we're in. Oh. Yeah, Gosh, it's it definitely flew by. Podcast. It's yeah. fifty-six minutes probably, felt like it flew by. You could probably like do another hour. Six, Sixteen minutes. <laughs> That's what's crazy about it. <laughs> I, I would sign up for it, but I feel like you got to put your show. Together, Actually, they so they I'll, shut I'll us off go. after an hour and I recorded. We'd have to start a new one. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Part one. Part All right, buddy. Two. Well, nice work over the weekend with the draft. But uh, and, uh, sorry about my Desmond Trufant mix up there. Uh, <laughs> I think maybe I was off. <laughs> no, Anyways, <laughs> like I said, it, it was it was like my Jonathan Taylor mix up last Just week. Just leave it there. We're all imperfect. You know that, so. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. Well, always uh, subscribe, rate, and review for Femi and Ferrari. And uh, all right. Mike, it was Take fun, care, and uh, I'll you. chat with you soon.